0: We here at Faith Bible Church are in a series on the attributes of God, the descriptions of God, those traits that make up who God is. Last week we talked about the jealousy of God and defined that as God fervently protecting His own glory and honor, and He has the, He is right to do that because He is the only one who deserves honor and glory and we concluded that God tolerates no rivals well this morning we move on to yet again another attribute of God this time it's an attribute that's very tightly connected to two more of God's attributes to God's holiness which we are going to talk about two weeks from today And God's righteousness and justice, which we will talk about three weeks from today on December 7th. Today we focus on His wrath. And we are going to see this morning that we have, we serve a God of wrath. Which simply means that God hates sin. He hates everything that runs contrary to his character. And we're going to see that if God did not hate sin, if he was not a God of wrath, it would actually detract from his holiness and his righteousness. We cannot have a holy God who does not hate sin. This week I went to my dentist for a six-month checkup. He is new in that office. My previous dentist retired, and when the new man came in, along came new technology. Everything has gone digital, and I needed some bite-wing x-rays. No longer do they have the little piece of plastic hooked onto this long plastic stick that is gives the hygienist the joy of watching me gag. Now there is a little instrument on a cord and they just use the same instrument and put it into your mouth and take digital pictures and on that instrument is a little piece of plastic. A cover. And uh, so the next patient comes in and they just take out a new little plastic cover and put on that little instrument and stick it in your mouth. At least I hope they put on a new plastic cover. Wouldn't it be gross if I, I came in and I noticed the previous patients biological byproducts still on that plastic and and I said to the lady the hygienist why aren't you giving me a new little cover on this little digital x-ray deal and she said well the guy that was in the chair before you has relatively good oral care for a guy, he takes pretty good care of his teeth, and you know it's it's pretty clean to which I would say, "No, uh, pretty clean isn't good enough, but she said oh, you don't understand he's he he does a pretty good job i I think it's okay, and plus it saves me time having to switch out the cover and it saves the dentist money, so I think you can live with it to which I would get up and leave. You see, I demand absolute cleanliness. And aren't we glad that we have a God that demands the same thing? That we have a God who does not tolerate sin. Because if he was just neutral towards sin, Or if he actually was accepting of sin, he would not be a holy God and he would not be a right judge. So we're going to see this morning that God's holiness and God's righteousness, his justice, demands that he be a God of wrath. And for God to be a God of wrath simply means that God hates sin. So to look at that this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, first of all, to Exodus chapter 32. We looked at this passage last week, a little different section of it, but it's that passage where Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. In fact, Moses is going to come down the hill, come down the mount, carrying these two pieces of stone upon which the Ten Commandments are inscribed. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 32 verse 7 because God's going to tell Moses he's got to get back to the camp of Israel immediately because they've fallen into sin. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They've made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are in obstinate people, now let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. God hates sin. And here he tells Moses, step aside, I'm going to destroy this people. Now, that's actually an invitation on God's part to Moses, for Moses to take the opportunity to intercede on behalf of Israel. Normally God wouldn't say, now Moses let me alone so I can do this. Notice that God hates sin so much that he's washing his hands from his people. If you go back to verse seven, notice it says, go down at once for your people. Whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Notice down in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, not my people, this people. And behold, they are an obstinate people. God hates sin. And he's prepared to pour out his wrath on the nation of Israel. And yet, as Moses Intercedes on behalf of the people God relents in His patience. Turn with me over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. In John, chapter 3, we find John the Baptist talking. And John the Baptist is Relaying to his audience that he is, needs to decline and Jesus needs to become the preeminent one because he is the preeminent one. He's the preeminent one over all of creation. He is God's son. In fact, in verses 32 through 34, John the Baptist explains that when Jesus speaks, he's actually speaking the words of God. So when we come to verses 35 and 36, we see John the Baptist declaring that the person who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, you cannot accept the Father and reject the Son. To do so is to disobey, to disbelieve God's provision for us. In light of this wrath under which each and every one of us reside apart from Jesus. You see, up in verses 18 through 20, John records for us the words of Jesus that the reason we're under God's wrath is because we choose to be. We choose to reject Jesus Christ, we push Him away. Notice with me verse 19. This is the judgment that the light is coming to the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. We don't want to have our lives compared to God, because His holiness is, will only illumine our sinfulness. We push away the revelation of God, and thus we are underneath the wrath of God. God's hatred of sin. Look with me over at the book of Romans, chapter 1. In Romans, chapter 1, The Apostle Paul is explaining in verse 18 why we have only one hope, and that hope is to be declared right with God by means of faith. And the reason why we only have one hope is explained for us in verse 18, because as humans... We push God away. We willingly push Him away. It tells us in verse 18 that we suppress the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So in and of ourselves, we are under the wrath of God because we bear our own sin and we choose to. We choose to bear our own sin because we don't want our sin to be shown by the absolute purity of God. And thus, we push God away. All under the wrath of God because of our sin. Last week I made a comment, some of you might disagree, I think most of you would probably agree that the best television show of all time is Gunsmoke. The second best television show of all time is Andy Griffith. And there could be a vine for the one and two spot. If you are so young that you're not familiar with the brilliancy of the television show Andy Griffith, I would encourage you to get some DVDs and catch up! Andy Griffith's show is set in this little idyllic setting in a small town in North Carolina. And two of the main characters are a sheriff and his bumbling deputy, Andy and Barney. One of my favorite episodes is called A Date for Gomer. And in that episode, Andy and Barney are looking forward to the Saturday night dance Barney, of course, is taking his girl, Thelma Lou. But Thelma Lou's cousin comes into town, a woman of homely appearance named Mary Grace. And Thelma Lou says, I'm not going to the dance unless you find a date for my cousin, Mary Grace. Andy and Barney put their heads together knowing what Mary Grace looks like. And cannot think who they could possibly get to take this woman of less than desirable appearance to the dance. Except Gomer. So they asked Gomer, the local filling station attendant, to come over and encourage him that he should go out on a date and take Thelma Lou's cousin Mary Grace. And Gomer says, Is she pretty? To which... Andy and Barney say, she's nice. She's so nice. And then Gomer's shaking his head, but is she pretty? And Andy and Barney say, she's nice. She's so nice. You see, they're a little bit embarrassed by their cousin, Thelma Lou's cousin. And too often as Christians today, we consider the wrath of God to be a cousin of Christianity that's really kind of embarrassing. Well, God's so nice. He's, He's, He's such a nice God. Yeah, that wrath thing's out there, but He's so nice. And what we fail to recognize is that part of the good news is the wrath of God. That, that God's holiness and righteousness and justice could not be apart from His wrath. That we would not have good news if we didn't have a holy God who hated sin. As a Christian, You and I should not consider the wrath of God to be the homely cousin of Christianity. It's central. God's wrath is central to He is, to who He is in His character. Apart from His wrath, we would not have a holy God. We see in John 3 that the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ is being disobedient because they're rejecting God's provision for people. Sin is not paid. Thus, we're under wrath. We see in Romans 1.18 that the reason that men and women and boys and girls are under the wrath of God is because men and women and boys and girls suppress the truth of God. We push Him away. Without wrath, without God's hatred of sin, he would not be a holy God. He would not be a right judge. Turneth me over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. As we come to Ephesians 2, we're going to see some verses here that actually contain... Some very encouraging news for us, for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are trusting in the person of Jesus Christ, that He is God, that He died for me, for you, and rose again from the dead, proving that He's God. Because for the Christian, Christians will not face God's coming wrath. We won't. Every man and woman and boy and girl who have put their trust in the person of Jesus Christ will never face the wrath of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul describes us apart from Christ this way. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That means that in our very nature, we are sinners. In our very core of who we are, and from the day we are born, we are born sinners, underneath, totally deserving, God's hatred of sin. We are under his wrath, but notice the next verse, but God but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith saved from what we're saved from the wrath of God at the moment, you and I finally come to that point where we recognize that we've been pushing God away, that we are bearing our own sin, that we cannot fix our own sin problem, and recognize that God demonstrated His love to us by sending the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to take on humanity, to come to earth, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and rise from the dead, so that He would take... God's wrath on himself at that moment that I've transferred the dependence of my life from myself onto the person of Jesus Christ at that moment, I will never face the wrath of God. Why? Jesus took it for me. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians, right after the book of Colossians, we find first. Thessalonians. Thessalonians, And in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 10, we find a statement about the fact that Jesus is coming back. In fact, every chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to Jesus coming back. And we see the Apostle Paul writing, this, writing to this church in Thessalonica. And he is encouraging his readers to, That it's been reported to him that they have turned away from these false idols, these, these, these ones, these idols, these false gods that are vying for men and women's hearts. And they've turned away from those idols and they've turned to the one true God and they know Jesus is coming back and they're motivated by that to actually live for him every day. So Paul writes in verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. What a neat statement about the deity of Jesus Christ. He's been at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back from heaven. This one who the Father raised from the dead, this Jesus, and it says he's rescuing us from the wrath to come. Go back to the book of Romans, the third chapter. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that through Jesus Christ we find redemption. Meaning, in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through faith in him, he purchases us out of this bondage we are in to sin. This, this, this perpetual pushing away that we do as humans apart from Christ, we push away God. We're in bondage to sin. We're under God's wrath. And yet it tells us here that there's redemption available. Purchasing from this slavery to sin. How's that possible? It tells us in verse 25, through Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly, As a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now that's a word we don't use too much. Propitiation. It's only used one other time in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 5 to refer to the mercy seat. That cover on the ark that was in the Holy of Holies upon which the high priest would apply blood affecting The removal of sin from Israel, pointing forward to Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So, the NIV translates this word propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement. Meaning, Jesus' death takes away our sin. But the word means even more than that. This little Greek word, this Greek word that's only used twice in the New Testament, is used extensively in writing concurrent with the writing of the New Testament in the Greek world to refer to satisfying wrath. Here the word carries the idea of this. When Jesus Christ... Went to the cross. He took God's rightful wrath towards sin all on himself. Propitiation means to satisfy the righteous wrath of a holy God. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. It's not that God's wrath is swept under a rug. God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ took that as a completely blameless, holy substitute for you and for me. And because Jesus took on God's wrath for sin, you and I, when we put our trust in Him, His payment for sin is credited to our lives so that we'll never face the wrath of God. Never. You and I... Those of us who have put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ never face God's wrath. My wife Barbara and I are empty nesters. About 95% of the time, it's rather enjoyable. There's a couple of downsides. One is I lost my workforce. You know... We never really tell this to kids. And you kids who are here, you've probably already figured it out. There are certain jobs that moms and dads really don't enjoy doing. So what do we do? We assign those jobs to the kids. It's one of the joys of parenthood. I really hate doing this. So son, go for it. Now they're gone. There's nobody to turn to. I have to do it. And one of those jobs that I just don't like is carrying the salt. We have a water softener. And for some reason, I just hate carrying the salt. I usually get six bags, and I usually buy 40-pound bags. This time, I bought 50-pound bags. We have to take them from the trunk of the car, through the garage, into the kitchen, around the corner, down stairs to the lower level back into our mechanical room I have to carry these bags and I always carry two because that would mean 12 trips so we got to be economical with our time and efforts so I've got 100 pounds And I'm in my mechanical room kind of walking sideways because there's some shelves here and a row of chairs here for a small group. And so I'm walking between the shelves and the chairs to try to get back to the very back corner of my mechanical room by the water softener. And these last bags I bought, they're not ergonomically designed. They're cutting into my hands and it hurts. So here I am dreading carrying the salt. I think, maybe I should just put it off. Barbara, are the boys coming by anytime soon? (laughs) No, I don't think they are. Well, maybe I should just take down two bags tonight and leave the rest. No, I'm just going to get it over with. So, in not the greatest mood, I take the first two. Through the garage, through the kitchen, down the steps, through the landing, down more steps, into the lower level, open the mechanical room door, drop one, pick it back up, take it through the shelves, through the chairs, through the maze, down. Go get two more. Same deal. Go get two more. Same deal. I'm finally down, drop on it. Oh, it feels so good to have that done. That weight is finally off. Oh, to have that, that just that weight off of me feels so good. You know what one of the greatest joys of the Christian life is? Having the weight of not knowing if I will face the wrath of God or not off of me. I, from the day that I put my trust in Jesus, have never again feared What's going to happen to me when I die? I know in the depths of my being, because God's word tells me, I will never face the wrath of God. And to know that, to be assured of that, is like this huge weight off of our lives. Just do a little experiment. Ask people, maybe a coworker or neighbor, what do you think is going to happen to you? After you die, the vast majority will probably say something like, well, I hope that I'll be in heaven. And by that, they're just saying, man, I carry this weight. I don't like to think about it. For me, it's kind of a homely cousin. I don't want to think about God's wrath. But I carry it all the time. What a freeing. Thing to know that through Jesus Christ taking God's wrath upon Himself for me and my putting my trust in Him, that payment for my sin is credited to my account and I don't have to bear that weight anymore of not knowing if I'm going to face God's wrath or not. It's off. What a joy. Now let's not be mistaken. God's wrath is coming. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And in Romans, we looked at this passage two weeks ago, and we talked about the patience of God. Paul's writing to people who think they are good. In their own eyes, they're doing great. And Paul confronts them. Points out their sin and says, Hey, do you think that you're being so judgmental of people and yet you're doing the same thing that you're going to escape God's judgment? Look at verse three. But do you suppose this, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? In fact, Paul goes on to explain, as they continue in their sin, pushing, suppressing the truth of God away, not putting their trust in Jesus Christ, this is what they're doing in verse 5. You're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Look down at verse 16. Verse 16 says, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You see, part of the good news is the judgment, the wrath of God. It's sure. If it wasn't sure, God would not be holy and he would not be a right judge. It's going to come. Peter assures us of that in 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter three verses nine and 10. Second Peter chapter three verses nine and 10 he's writing to Christians who are being attacked by false teachers and these false teachers are saying, ah Jesus said he's coming back he hasn't come back, he's not coming back." There's not going to be any judgment. And Peter in verse 9, as we looked at last two weeks ago, said, Hey, don't count God's slowness as meaning that he's not going to come as judge. His slowness is a result of his patience, that he desires more and more men and women to turn to Jesus to repent. But be sure of this, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That phrase, day of the Lord, is just talking about the end times here at Faith Bible Church. We would say the day of the Lord encompasses all the time from the point that the church is resurrected To be with Jesus, and then the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and at the end of the millennial kingdom, that period of time, this whole period of time is the day of the Lord, which culminates in a judgment of all those who have rejected Jesus Christ and rejected God's promises, and they will be cast into hell forever. And those who have believed Those who have put their trust in Jesus will forever and ever be under the reign of Christ in a recreated heaven and earth. Judgment is sure. This time of year, some of you may be doing some tax planning. Looking at your end-of-the-year finances, asking yourselves questions like, "Ah, is there some way I can defer some income? Is there something I can do so my tax bill is not going to be quite so great? I pay quarterly tax payments as a pastor. It's one thing if you know that every paycheck is a lot less because taxes are being withdrawn. Try every quarter having to take out your checkbook And write out a check to the IRS and write out a check to the state of Iowa and actually having to fill in those numbers and think about, you know what, I could be buying with this right now. It's so painful. I have a pastor, I know a pastor who decided, you know, I don't like doing this. I'm just going to stop. And he did. He just thought, I'm not going to pay these anymore. I don't, most likely, it's going to be okay. Okay. They, they won't notice. Guess what? It wasn't okay. They did notice. And you know, I think some people just kind of go through life not really wanting to think about the wrath of God, thinking it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. It's not. People push God away. They suppress the truth. And because of that, people bear their own sin. And God would not be a holy and right God unless He deals with that sin, punishes that sin. But He's also a God of love, and that's why He sent His one and only Son to be a propitiation for us to take and satisfy that right Wrath of God by taking our punishment on Himself and then rising from the dead, proving that He's God. If you're here today and you don't know if you're going to face God's wrath or not, I would encourage you immediately after the service. We have a prayer room in the back. One of our elders will be back there. Please go back there and just say, Hey, can you talk with me a little bit about this? How can I know? that I'm not going to face God's wrath. And he'd be happy to give you some material you can look up in your own Bible and read about what we've been talking about this morning. That we can know for sure that we'll never face the wrath of God. Or you may be here thinking, that's great, and I know I'm not going to face God's wrath. How much more should that be spurring us on to share this good news about what Jesus has done for us. And you know what? God's wrath is not a homely cousin. It's okay to talk about it. It's also okay to talk about how good it feels to finally have that weight of not knowing off of our lives and to be able just to rejoice knowing that I, that you, that all of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ will never face the wrath of God father I thank you that you are a holy God a right just God and in your holiness you are a God of wrath and if we really look at that we see that is actually central to the good news because if you were not a God of wrath you wouldn't be holy so we praise you today for your holiness. We also know and praise you that you didn't leave us in our plight because you're also a God of love and you sent your Son to take on your wrath for our sin upon himself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.